Hello, and welcome to another episode of City on a Hill, a podcast about what it means to be a citizen of heaven and a citizen of the United States. We want to encourage Christians to find their tribe in the church and their hope in the kingdom of God, rather than to seek both in the kingdom of man. So with that, let's get to it today. Well, hello, I'm Eric Eastep. And I'm Scott Reevesley. And this is the City on a Hill podcast. Welcome back. How are you doing, Scott? We're doing okay. How has it been? We, ha- we haven't recorded in two weeks, so we're opening the curtain, letting people know. Yikes. <laughs> How you been? It's been a little while. I've been exhausted. I'm exhausted. <laughs> I drove, uh, moved my parents down to Arizona in the last uh, couple weeks, and it was a lot of driving, and that was the best part. Because oh when I wasn't driving, I was uh, either cleaning out garages or straightening garages or unloading really, really, really hot trucks or something. So, yeah, it's. Um, I'm looking forward to a little bit of a breather. Well, here's a here's a breather. So I'm going to come. Yeah, I'm going to I'm I'm going to go back to work <laughs> to, to get a breather, which sounds terrible too. So. Well, it's funny. I I my family took a vacation last week. Yeah, you had the same thing. <laughs> I'm exhausted after vacation. Exhausted. Yes. Well, I, I I am rapidly switching my expectations of what vacation looks like with children. It's not the totally disconnect, completely restful, sit on a couch and read however many books you want to read type thing anymore. So you may never read on vacation <laughs> I may again. Never read again. <laughs> oh man. Well, I I've been pondering um, fear and hope. So I'm curious. Do you think you're a fearful person, Scott? Well, I suppose that's something that we all ought to think about. Are you a fearful person? Well, frankly, I'm. I'm not. Uh, I. I even had a spider fall out of the toilet paper. What? <laughs> <laughs> and you know, brush against my leg at night, and like I didn't really jump. You know, so I don't know that I'm a fearful person. Oh, goodness. This was unexpected, folks. <laughs> I wasn't ready for any of this. <laughs> actually, actually, I, I think what it is is that I'm not sure I'm smart enough to be a fearful person. Mm. And I have... I do, have do explain. Do I explain. have good reason for that. So when uh, I was uh, a kid, my dad was a pilot, and he was, uh, he was a really good pilot. I mean, he was a fighter pilot. And when I was in high school, he had a membership to a... Um, a small plane club, and he would fly a small plane. And so there was a point in time when he uh, flew me and the heavyweight on our wrestling team to a wrestling tournament. And in Montana, that's that's really helpful because otherwise you're driving for six or eight hours or some crazy amount. It also of time. sounds awesome. It was pretty awesome, <laughs> I thought. But anyway, the the place where uh, where I went to high school is extremely windy. I mean, mm. it, it makes Chicago look calm, and Chicago's a windy city, and it it it, it blows all the time. Anyway, we're coming home from this tournament, and there's a crosswind on the uh, on the landing strip, and that's not what you want. You want to land into the wind and mm-hmm. get your you know, get your ground speed down and set down real nicely while it's a crosswind, which could flip. I mean, it was strong enough that my dad was worried about it flipping the plane. Oh, goodness. 
Yeah. And so <laughs> he, said, he told me in the heavyweight, to, he said, why don't you guys both get over and lean against that wall of the plane, make sure we see if we can't keep the wind down or keep the wing down by the you two heavy guys leaning against the, the side of the plane. And apparently it worked, and he set the plane down, and we landed, and we got in the hangar, and we're, we're in the car on the way home. Uh, and my dad asked me, he said, so were you afraid? Of course, I'm, I'm a high school kid, so no, no, I wasn't afraid. And my dad just looks at me and said, you didn't know enough to be afraid. <laughs> it was like, oh, well, okay, so there you go. That, that's kind of why I say I'm not really smart enough to be uh, a fearful person, I guess. Um, and that, that there's probably a lot of life, life lessons in that too. I mean, if you, if you don't know what to be afraid of, you're not going to be afraid. And so I think that, you know, we're going to talk about this more, but there are all kinds of, uh, you can get uh, news and headlines and all kinds of stuff just fed to you uh, that will make you afraid. And, and me, well, I don't know enough to be afraid. That, and that is really, really helpful. Mm. Um, my most recent uh, experience where, uh, and, and usually I, I, I recognize after the fact I should have been afraid perhaps, like, like my interview with my dad there. Mm. But we're moving, we're moving them down to Arizona. And one listener who probably should remain nameless just on account of the trauma was partly his. Um, we were driving a, a Penske truck. Uh, so we were driving the moving truck. And uh, it was, I don't know if it ever got under 100 degrees outside hardly this entire trip. And so we're, we're you know, climbing the mountains. And it's the first day we're, I don't know, a few hours into the trip. And we're in the Southern Oregon mountains. And the thing overheats. And we get one red light. And I thought, oh, I probably should pull off. And then the next thing we got was a, of the triangle that looked like a yield mm-hmm. or a warning mm-hmm. you know, symbol. And we affectionately uh, called that the, the triangle of shame because we saw it a lot on the trip. <laughs> and so when I got the triangle of shame, I pulled off. And we let it cool down and it took us a long time. Yeah. And we got back in, switched drivers. And so uh, it didn't take us long because we're still going uphill, still going to windy roads. And boom, the red light comes on. And then just a little ways longer, boom, the triangle of shame comes on. And we uh, had only that, we'd only done this this once. And we're still climbing. And, you know, all of a sudden we got the triangle of shame there and there is a tunnel. And there's nowhere to pull off. So, you know, we said, okay, well, let's get through the tunnel. We'll pull off the first place. Well, we didn't know that there was a third light. And there, once you, you get the Skull red, and crossbones. You, you get the red light, you get this, the triangle of shame, and then you get one that just says stop. And it's, it's like a stop sign. And that's a, that shuts the engine down. We are in the tunnel. What? We are in the tunnel. And the machine shuts. Pensky, what are you doing? And the machine shuts off. Oh, my goodness. And we, we coasted out of the tunnel, I don't know, maybe 50, 50 yards. You take your lights out, too? Maybe 100 yards. No, no. So you still have lights? Yeah, we still have all the warning lights on. 
anyway, but we're along the side of the road where, where the, you know, the shoulder is, I don't know, not even three feet wide with his Penske truck as close as we can get. And people could see us and make it around and people come the other way. But if that had, if that had a shut down in that tunnel, oh yeah, we'd, uh, it would be awful. So then we were talking about this on the whole rest of the trip. Like that's the thing we'll never forget. We barely missed that. Unbelievable. So anyway, I, that was another thing looking back. I should have been much more afraid than I was. That was quite an adventure. But uh, anyway, we made it. It only overheated 11 times on the second day. But we got a little better at m- modulating the overheating and the hills were wow. a little more straight. So it was a little easier. But anyway, yeah, that I, I, I was grateful not to be a fearful person. But anyway... That's that's a couple of my stories, one from a long time ago, one from last weekend. That's incredible. So Scott is the one that's not fearful, apparently. That's, so the reason I, I brought it up and asked, um, I heard a question, in I think it was a podcast a couple of weeks ago from someone else. I'm not exactly sure where I got it. it may have been, I don't want to in, inappropriately attribute it, so I'm not even sure. But um, I heard the question, is your politics motivated by fear or hope? And when I heard it, that's that's a pretty good question. And then it just stuck with me. Um, Well, that's a good question for you because it's a good question for me. Here you are. You're you know going door to door, and you're you're making speeches. And are you gonna? Which one are you gonna use? That's really a good question for you, right? It's fantastic. It's good for me as a politician, and I think it's good for anyone um, just to ponder what is motivating them because there's there's a lot of energy in politics. There's a lot of um, action that can occur, and Frankly, the it's a pretty simple path if you use fear. Like it's just an easy go to. I and I frankly see a lot of people using fear as a tool. Um, I'm sitting and listening to speeches or watching other people try to motivate others to give money or to knock on doors for them or um, to vote in November or do do whatever thing they need done. And often they take the tool of fear and. Uh, I, it's just helpful for me to think about that question. One, what am I going to do? What tools am I going to use? And two, I hope you guys, listeners, can use that question as well. Are you being motivated by fear? Um, and I think it's it's just the 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 tenor of of really news media um, politics in general. It uses fear all the time. I just wrote down several not headlines, but c- kind of narratives I hear often. If you're on the Republican side. Um, you're probably hearing fear of the Democrats being built up and, and trying to get you fired up. Um, or maybe if you're on, well, a, if you're on the Democratic side, you're it's, the other fear way. Of, it's totally the other way. Oh, yeah. So it's not a, it doesn't, there's nothing partisan about this. It's not, a, well, it is, it's extremely partisan, <laughs> right? It's just both. It's equal sides. opportunity. Yes. Right. <laughs> exactly. And I think, too. and I think that's really important to, to mention yeah. because I mean, you, you see in the news all the time that somebody's going to take away their mm-hmm. right to abortion or something, and that mm-hmm. is, uh, that's every bit based on fear, right? Uh, just as well as anything you're mentioning there. So, right, yeah, you you hear about taking, you you hear it described as taking women's rights on one side, or um, I often hear about an existential threat of climate change. Uh, you'll hear about uh, what do we do with. Um, the way things are changing or the way we're having to interact with things. And it's, it's not just let's figure out how to steward and, and be wise. It's existential. Like this is going to be the death of us all. Um, some of the other types of language I hear, uh, it's tyranny is coming. 
we're, we're looking at this and looking how things are happening and it's, it's tyranny. You need, you need to all be very afraid. You all need to be very concerned um, or uh, bringing fear about uh, you, you're going to be the next one to be canceled. It's, it's that kind of thing. Just, and it's constant. If, if you, I don't know how, how often we talk about social media, just you don't need to sit on it. But if you sit on it and you allow yourself to be kind of, you sit in that pool it's, it's constantly stuff like this. It's fear mongering. It's, um, you need to be motivated by, and it's always fear. It seems like it's always fear to me. And I think it's a question for myself. I think it's a question for all of you. Um, one, are you putting yourself in a place where fear is the motivator? Is that, are you allowing yourself to be sold fear? Um, cause it really is a sales tactic. That's Mm-hmm. I, I think some of the worst sale, and we, we talked, when, when, when was that episode? It was a while ago, but we talked about... It was a catastrophizing Catastrophizing. Episode. The gremlins will eat your cereal. The gremlins will eat your cereal. That was the name of the title. Um, it's a sales tactic. If I can get you sufficiently afraid, then, hey, I have a solution so that you don't need to be afraid anymore. Do what I ask you to do, and then you're no longer afraid. And that that is the sales tactic. That's the um, the way of positioning your desired action so that someone is motivated to do it. And, and let me just stop you there because, you know, I, I don't know that, you know, I always have great goals for our podcast and we're going to change the world and everything. But if, if we can remind people to look for that tactic alone, mm. that I think that I think it will be worth the entire episode because the, the fear is uh, it's just toxic. Right. It's toxic, and and without respect to uh, you know politics at all, if you live with that level of anxiety regularly, it will be unhealthy for you. Uh, if you are f- afraid of them, mm-hmm. it's going to be very hard to love them. Oh yeah, you know that's I think some of it is if you really do understand your Christian obligation to uh, you know love your neighbor. If you're afraid of your neighbor, it's going to be very, very hard to, to obey Christ. Mm-hmm. And worse than that, it's going to be even harder to convince them mm. that you love them. If, if on the one. other hand, so you, on the one hand, you want to say, oh, I'm a good neighbor, I love you. On, but on the other hand, you say, you know, they're out to get us, or they're going to cancel us, or they're doing this. And that person doesn't agree, you know, they don't line up with you, so they line up with the people who are going to you know, cancel or harm you, they're not going to believe you when mm-hmm. it comes time for you to say, I love you, or Jesus loves you, or whatever. You're going to, they're going to say, no, you're against us. I'm sorry. Right. I, I, that's and why I should they believe you? Well, th- right. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, I guess I just think that if, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, this fear does end up creeping in. Uh, and if it creeps into any of your language, uh, then I think it's going to make it very hard for you to convince other people with different language, mm-hmm. <laughs> talking of both sides of your mouth in some respect, mm-hmm. about uh, how you want to influence them uh, for Jesus. So just I, I, I hope that, that, that this at least makes us aware of what we're ingesting, number one, and then what we're, um, what we're saying when we're, when we're talking or typing, too. Right, right. Yeah, so that, that's the fear side, and the question is, is twofold. Is it, is it motivated by fear or by hope? And I, I do think, especially as Christians, uh, almost everything we do should be motivated by hope because we, have a, we belong to a story um, that is the redemptive narrative that includes hope in it. 
And, and just to pause for a second, the, the narrative of fear is almost a narrative of chaos. If uh, everything is just chaotic, and unless we hold it together, um, everything's going to fall apart. So the, the action I'm presenting to you, because you're fearful now, is the, the only thing that will keep us going, which is where you get the us-them um, the us them competition, all of those type of things. I think it's a narrative of, of chaos, and our human action is the only thing keeping us okay. Well, so, I mean, you're, you're thinking of the, the, the story of God in the Bible, creation, fall, redemption, and consummation, where we are looking forward to that day when mm-hmm. God will restore and make all things new again. And so we have hope mm-hmm. because of the resurrection of Jesus and because of the, the promise of the new heavens and new earth. Uh, this, um, you know, in <laughs> this chaos you're talking about and our response or our action to uh, somehow alleviate the chaos is a different story. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily a story of fear. It's a story of, of you know, some other savior. It's a right. s- story of some other deliverance that then brings out some other final uh, end. And we're, you know, essentially it's, it's got the same arc, creation, fall, redemption, consummation, but it, um, it ends up inserting a different savior and it ends sure. up inserting really a different end. And I think, I think that's helpful to know because there are people, again, I'm trying to help people who claim to be followers of Jesus mm-hmm. understand that when fear is so, you know, invasive in your life, you end up with a different uh, redemption story. You end up with a different gospel, a mm-hmm. false gospel, mm-hmm. that you're trying to somehow uh, work into your life as opposed to the gospel of Jesus. So. Right, right. Yeah, so fear gives fear has a different narrative. Um, our narrative, and Scott already mentioned it, is, is a redemptive narrative of creation, fall, redemption. You said consummation or restoration is another word for that. Um, end of the story. But that story is a hopeful story. So it starts with creation, and our, our Bibles tell us that God created the world good and put uh, man and woman in, the, in a garden, and he was interacting with them, and everything was very good, um, as it ought to have been. And then um, Adam and Eve, or man and woman, pull away from God, dis- decide to s- distrust God, and there's a fall. There's a, um, a breaking of, of good, and... Out of that breaking, um, God decides to respond, and he decides to redeem. He decides to in- inject himself into the situation um, and redeems us. And then there's future restoration so that everything that was broken will be mended. Everything that was twisted will be made straight. Um, and that's that's the ultimate hope we have. We're waiting for the creator God, who's also the redeeming God, to be the restoring God. And we sit in the middle of that story where there's still the ramifications of the fall, there's still the ramifications of brokenness, um, but also the ramifications of redemption. Both of those things are happening at the same time because we're in the middle of the story, but that's inherently hopeful. Mm-hmm. You're in the middle of the story. Um, and I think that's something that fear doesn't do, um, doesn't tell you that you're in the middle of a story. It's just everything's going to fall apart if you don't fix it right now. And there is a deliverer. Mm-hmm is not you it is not a politician of your choosing mm-hmm. it is a, it is god himself in the person of jesus who does that saving and so uh it is a 
you know, it's a competing story is what it is. And I think it really is important to say that it's, it's not both. It's not my political hope and my privatized faith. It's Mm -hmm. the, my hope in this risen and conquering King. It, I mean, it is a political story, right? Because Jesus is King. And therefore I'm going to, I'm going to believe one of the stories, but, but I really can't squeeze them both together. Right. Right, it's either one or the other. It's, right. it's fear or hope. You have you have to pick one. Um, one of the passages I go to often, just in my own posture in thinking about politics, because uh, I, I need the reminder to be hopeful. I need because there's so much. Hey, be fearful, be fearful, be fearful. I'm in a bunch of different environments where it's be fearful, be fearful, be fearful, and also if you just tell people to be fearful, they may do things for you. <laughs> so I probably have uh, less action. Uh, because I'm not willing to take that tact, um, but w- but one of the things I use to help me is is Jeremiah 29, um, and that is uh, a passage where Jeremiah sends a letter to exiles, to people in the middle of a story, in the middle of a broken story, in the middle of a not ideal story, and tells them what basically what God is what God's going to do, um, and tells them. Well, a powerless story. I think it's important mm, to see these, that these guys are powerless uh, as well. So continue. Yeah, yeah. So it starts in Jeremiah 29, the beginning. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to, to the surviving elders of the exiles. So these are exiles. <laughs> that's where you get the powerless. They don't have mm-hmm. control. They don't have um, the ability to take action, to pull themselves out of the situation. So he sends them this letter to the surviving elders of the exiles, to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And just, it's not good to be in exile. It's not, it's not a good situation. Um, this was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Saphon. Why did I do this to myself? And Jeremiah, the son of Hil- Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, to say, it said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. He says, Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. That's what he tells them to do. If, we're, if it was in our culture, he'd be saying, don't worry, I'm about to come rescue you. Don't worry, we're going to do this one thing, and we're, we're going to stop the situation you're in. But he tells them to plant some roots, which is, this is kind of crazy talk. Um, build, build houses, live in them, plant gardens. Um, and if you know anything about gardens, you don't get immediate fruit from gardens. You have to plant them, and you got to wait. you got to water them. you got to um, let the uh, roots or let it all take root and sit in the soil for a while. Then you can eat the produce. And not only that, even more long-term take wives and have sons and daughters and take your, take wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage. So make families, um, have grandkids. Uh, We want to, he said, don't let them decrease. You want to increase the amount of people you have while you're in exile in Babylon and on top of it all, while you're in Babylon, this horrible city that has taken you away from your home and put you where you do not want to be, 
seek that welfare, seek the welfare of that city. Um, I just, it's just, it's just sounding to read because we're, we have a posture so much more full of fear and we are in such a better place (laughs) than this. And uh, God tells them when you're in this horrible city that you don't want to be in, seek the welfare of that city. Well, so I, I, I think you could say too that some of the some of the messaging that was that that he was trying to counteract with this letter is that God was going to deliver them and pull them out of this. Mm-hmm. And what he's saying is no, you need to stay there and invest in where you are right now. Mm-hmm. Don't pull out. Don't expect God to deliver you uh, uh, immediately. And he says, do not let your prophets or diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Right. In other words, I think it's really important uh, that we don't just uh, give up mm-hmm. on the the projects that we're in. Right. I mean, the American project and the um, the the city or the county or wherever you're investing, mm-hmm. don't give up on it because it's God has you here for a reason. Right. And the people who would give you a false uh, a false story of rescue or deliverance, don't listen to them either. You're in the middle of a, a hard story, and that's okay. And he and he continues. So the the, the word of the Lord to the people in Babylon. Uh, says in verse 10, For thus says the Lord, When seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And I just think that's so powerful. One, I think we pull this out of context all the time, so I'm always trying to blow up this context and help people read the whole thing because we just put this on a coffee mug and, and we just apply it to whatever we want. I don't think that's fitting. Uh, but he says, I know the plans for you, and the plan is you're going to be here for 70 years. And I don't know if you know the life expectancy of people back then. It was not 70 years. <laughs> so he's right. If you can read, you probably would not be alive when this was fulfilled. When he came back to rescue, you probably weren't going to be alive anymore. And he's saying, you need to build these things. You need to sit in this hard story. You need to have sons and have daughters and have grandkids and, and build things and allow things to flourish and seek the welfare of the city. And you're going to die here. And eventually, I will come back and restore. But it's not going to be right now and um, sit here and be hopeful for future. And it may be your kid's future. It may be your grandkid's future. Um, but that, that is where your, your hope is when I come and rescue after you sit here for a little while. Well, I can't help but think of what uh, th- this is a letter from Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to those elders in exile. And I can't help but think of the messaging that they would have been hearing. I mean, they heard from the prophets and diviners, lies and dreams, I think saying, you know what? You're going to be rescued from this. God's going to get you out right away. Don't Mm -hmm. worry about it on the one hand. And I think then uh, on the other hand, they probably heard from each other. This is terrible. Mm -hmm. You know, the world, you know, this isn't Jerusalem. This is awful. And there was a kind of a fear-based or um, just a sorrow-based kind of a messaging too. So they would have been hearing both um, mm. mm-hmm. messages that, that we hear all the time too, right? We right. The Lord's going to come back. I mean, how many often do we hear that? Right. And that's not unhopeful by any means, but 
But don't listen to the prophets. But if you finish, <laughs> but if you finish the rest of the message, I mean, God's going to come back because everything's so terrible. Right. That's the kind of message that they were getting. Mm-hmm. Everything's so terrible, and you're going to be delivered. And he says, "Hold on. Mm-hmm. I want you to. I want you to invest. I want you to you know plant gardens. You know build families, uh, work jobs, and I want you to pray for the city where you live." Mm-hmm. So I, I think it counteracts, in some respect, the same kind of messaging that we're getting now. Right. Yeah, and I think you can use that posture. Um, and in fact, if you go to the New Testament, the, um, the exile of the people from Jerusalem to Babylon is a, different, a slightly different story than we're in, but the same type of language is picked up in the New Testament. Once uh, we, after the redemptive work of Jesus, you have Peter who writes uh, his first letter, and he writes explicitly to the elect exiles of the dispersion. And he's, he's writing to these, these new Christians who have, um, have been saved by the redeeming Jesus and who are now these elect exiles. And he says, may grace and peace be multiplied by, uh, to you. And he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. There's the hope piece again. There's the, the part of the redemptive narrative through the re- resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Um, I can't find the other piece, but, but he uses the same language. He's using the exile. And I, th- I think we ought to identify with that type of language. We are in the middle of the redemptive story. We're in the middle of, um, the intermingling of brokenness and redemption. And because we're in the middle of the story we have at the end of the story, we have hope because we belong to the one who was resurrected, who defeated death. Uh, but we're sitting here as exiles. It's not ideal yet. It's not restored creation yet. We're not sitting next to the, the right hand of the Father yet, with Jesus yet. Um, and, and right now, we're, there it is at the end, uh, we are in our time of exile. So I think that's helpful. I think, that's, uh, I think it's a thread that uh, Scripture uses, and I think it's one we should kind of put on as, as clothing, like here, how do we identify ourselves? How do we think about um, who we are in this world? And I think if you sit with that uh, exile identity, it, it's a lot easier to deal with what's difficult. It's a lot easier to um, deal with frustration because you're in exile. Of course, of course, things are going to be frustrating. Of course, mm-hmm. things are not going to be as they ought to be. Um, and don't, don't engage the story of fear that would have you looking for a different savior that is not ready to restore everything yet. We're, st- we're still waiting. We're still um, anticipating the end of the story. I do think it's worth noting, um, well, you, you, you noted how many times, there it is, um, fear not and do not be afraid is a, almost a constant refrain in Scripture. Um, fear not is 33 times. It shows up. Do not be afraid is 38 times. Um, I think there is one, one thing you ought to fear, and I think the only appropriate fear is God. You should be, uh, you should, you should fear God. You should have such a immense view of God that when when you consider who He is and um, His His strength and majesty and in, intensity, like that's something um, that is that is beyond beyond your realm and something that would that could give us appropriate fear. But anything else is is too small. It's too small for our fear. Um, and I was, I was doing a quick just look through the scriptures. And if, if there is any time to be um, fearful, it's often noted as something in relationship with God. Like, you, you want to be fearful about, am I connected to Jesus? Am I connected to God? 
that's where some level of fear should reside, not in my current situation, not in my frustration with the current politics, not in uh, my frustration with current leaders or um, current situations or anything like that. I want to make sure, um, and there should be a level of, uh, of fear about it, intensity about it. I want to make sure I'm connected to Jesus. I want to make sure I'm connected to God and his redemptive story. Um, and if that's the case, everything else is hope. Everything else is part of the redemptive story because I'm connected to the one that actually redeems and restores. And I, you know, I'm just going to um, be, I guess, be practical about this too. That, um, yes, there is reason to be discouraged about politics or about the way the world is or about inflation or about mm -hmm. the economy or about, uh, you know, what's going on in the international mm -hmm. stage. I mean, there's reason to be discouraged about it and, and in some regard, even fearful. I mean, we're, uh, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're trying to get some kind of a real estate deal done and it's about to fall through on account of uh, interest rates mm. and uh, uncertainty in the future. And w what am I going to do? I'm going to shake, right. you know, I'm going to get angry or am I going to say, vote somebody else in, you know, those you know, administrations just blah, blah, blah. What is that going to do? Right. That's going to do nothing. I mean, now the thing is, if my hope is fully set on that deal going through, mm. I, I am going to be, I am going to be fearful. Or I, right. I mean, th see, some of this, some of this is uh, uh, just a, a way to take your temperature mm -hmm. on what is really important to you. I mean, if if that if economics are the thing, I mean, if if you really do love money, right? Okay, I'm just gonna, right. just going to out and out say it. Yeah, then the then the economy is going to be really important to you, right? And but then all of a sudden you ought to just sort of gasp and say, "Oh, I didn't mean to do that," mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, because you can't be you can't love both God and money. So right. let me start over. And I think there's there's a number of things like that that we tend to all wrap into one thing mm -hmm. and say that um, we should be fearful or we should be angry or whatever. And I, th I think really we should be just hopeful. I mean, the end of, end of the passage that you started with earlier in First Peter just says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. In other words, think about things mm. in a, a practical and true way and being sober-minded. So, yeah, you're, you're, you're not to be Pollyanna. You're to really think about things like they are, including mm -hmm. the, the message of the gospel, Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So it's not set your hope partially right. on that grace and partially on what happens in the next election or partially what happens in the Supreme Court, but r rather set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then and it goes on to say, con to really confirm what you had just said, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Mm-hmm. Because so, it referred to him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. It's, it's again, a relationship to God. Right, yeah. So you're going to call on him, and you're going to conduct yourselves with fear of him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So That's good. And I, I, I think it's helpful to note um, if you are sitting, well, back up. I'm just thinking about fear. Nothing about fear actually solves anything. If you're fearful about something, you wringing your hands and 
um, having increased blood pressure does not change the thing that you're being fearful about. Um, so one, that's, that's practical. So, so just consider that. Um, but two, if you are engaged, um, if you're identifying as an exile and you're sitting in the redemptive narrative, you're sitting in that story, you're owning that story, uh, and you're anticipating something that is actually hopeful, something that will actually bring restoration, I think that story allows you to actually be a steward. Um, mm. And I, I use the stewardship language a lot in all my political stuff because it's actually why I'm running. It's actually why I want to do these things. And it's not fear-based. It's uh, I know where I belong, and I know to whom I belong, and I know what story I belong to. And while I'm here waiting for that story to, to fully come about— I can be a steward. I can plant gardens. Mm-hmm. That's what it means to be a steward. I have something to work with. I'm going to work the land or I'm going to build things or I'm going to seek the welfare um, while I'm waiting for the hope to show up. And I think you can do that with a hopeful story in ways you can't do that with a fearful story. You can go plant the garden. You can take the time and you can plant the seeds and you can water it and you can wait for the fruit to show up and then give it to people and and throw parties and do all those things because you know where you sit in the story and you don't need... Um, you don't need to drive action by fear because you know what will drive the action in the future. You know what will bring the hope in the future. So I, th- I do think that's, that's super helpful um, in my desire to be a steward, in my desire to use and take care of what we've been given as gifts, um, which is what I think we should be doing as Christians. Mm-hmm. We're, we're sitting here as exiles, and I think that's the posture of Jeremiah. Uh, don't just sit there and gripe as exiles. Sit there and plant gardens. Yeah. Sit there and... Um, raise your kids and give them in marriage um, and grow them up and and seek the welfare of the city. I think that's what we're supposed to be doing, but you need that hopeful story. Um, so uh, I agree, and I think that's, uh, I think, well stated. I, I do have, to, I do think we should admit, though, that we've tried to, we've tried to add gravitas to this whole discussion, right? I mean, we've, we've talked about what it means to be uh, a politician and how, you know, not using fear there. We've talked about the scriptures, and we've just, like, had a gravitas. But really what's driving this whole uh, episode is uh, really a cartoon, right? <laughs> you, just, you just let me out to dry. What? No. I, I love it. I think I think it's, it's, it's really all good. from a Pixar movie. It's there all from Monsters, well, Inc. <laughs> uh, so if you have any kids in the car that have not seen Monsters, Inc., you can you can fast forward because I'm going to have some spoilers. Ooh. You, you got to tell spoilers, uh, spoiler alerts in podcasts. But if you if you know about Monsters, Inc., the, the plot of the movie is that these there's Monsters Incorporated. There's a corporation of monsters, and their goal is to um, collect the screams of children so that they can store them up and they can use them as energy to power their cities. It's this, it's, it's a clever story. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the monsters go in, they scare the kid and yeah, you can get a kid to jump and you can get the scream and oh, we get a little bit of energy out of this thing and we can, we can do it. But they found that it was just diminishing returns. Like it's harder and harder. So you, you had to scare them even more to get a little bit less and um, just diminishing returns on the use of fear. And they find out at the end of the story, at the end of the movie that they actually got way more energy out of getting a kid to laugh. So they switch up their whole model and they change it all um, and they get kids to laugh and you can, you can see their little energy canisters go all the way up to 100% just by getting a kid to giggle. Um, and I think that's kind of what's at play here. Mm. You, can, you can drive with fear. You can definitely get some action. You can, in my world now, you can get some donations if you wanted to. You can get Ooh. some people to 
knock on a door for you or whatever, uh, show up to a rally. You can do that with fear, um, but you, and if, if you're on social media or on any news apps at all, you know you have to keep ramping it up. The next thing has to be more fearful than the last thing or it's not worth clicking on anymore. It's not worth looking at anymore. Um, but if you can be motivated by hope, it is lasting and it is a, it's a longer term thing. It's not a short um, injection and, oh, here we go. Now I have some action. Uh, hope is long term. Hope is uh, better and longer lasting. I think it probably takes a little bit more work to figure it out and how to present it well and how to put those two things together, which is, is some of the things we're doing now is, is showing how a hopeful story um, guides action in the present. But it gives you more energy in your canister. Right. <laughs> that's, that's the main thing. gives you energy in your canister. So think about that next time you watch Monsters, Inc. I think it's helpful. I think it's a good way to think about that. And I do think that a hopeful story is a better informer of action, a better driver of action, um, and will will make us really better Christians because yeah. uh, we're going to live actually in the story we belong to instead of a different story that's just false. A hopeful story is a Christian story. Yep, yep. that's good. Well, that's what we have for today. Um, if you are upset about the spoilers from a 15-year-old movie, you warned it's not them. my fault. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you gave them everything you could. I know, I did, it, I did my best. Uh, so don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get these podcasts. Rate us, that is always helpful, as is a review. If you can write something, that goes a long way. Um, share it with a friend, send it via text, tell them about the podcast. And if you do have questions, send them to comment at cityonahillpodcast.com. We love to get your questions. We They help us with future episodes. And it's always nice to have conversation partners. So until next time, we look forward to the next conversation.